The first issue we will discuss today is the Federal Trade Commission's new mandate to address nursing barriers to competition. Over the past two years, the FTC has provided over 12 opinions to state legislatures and boards of nursing on competitive barriers to practice. Most recently, the FTC submitted testimony to the West Virginia legislature on anti-competition and advanced nursing practice. We provided the link on Facebook for your review. The testimony builds on the extensive work done by the FTC on barriers to practice. It specifically addresses APN barriers to practice, retail or limited service clinics, and APRNs. However, my concern is that the Texas medical examiners requested an opinion and exemption for healthcare collaboratives, which the FTC determined was not needed because an antitrust exemption existed for pro-competitive collaborations. This was done in May 2011. Yet the FTC recognizes but does not get its arms around the anti-competitive impact collaborative relationships and practice relationships, excuse and practice arrangements protocols may offer if used inappropriately. Many docs and medical organizations continue to support the position that APRNs do not have the expertise or scope to provide care, and there is little evidence to prove that the anti-competitive impact of collaboration or supervised practice agreements Unless and until we are able to provide that data, the FTC cannot assess the the anti-competitive impact to include the economic impact of these agreements. The first question is, can we gather the information on the impact of collaboration and practice agreements enough for the FTC to review and conduct hearings on collaboration, practice agreements, and protocols. The type of data that we will need to provide to the FTC would include instances where nurses have not been able to get collaborators or supervisors because physicians have deliberately closed the market to nurse entrepreneurs and have used APNs solely as employees. Occurrences where nurses have lost their businesses because they have not or could not find a supervisor or a physician associate resigned from serving as their supervisor or collaborator. Occurrences where the collaborator or supervising attorney has required a fee which exceeds the norm for the community in which the nurse practices. Data by region and community on the cost of collaborating or being supervised. Instances where a nurse lost his or her practice or business to a physician. Instances where a nurse was required to refer business to a physician. 
instances where the local hospital refuses privileges to nurses and the nurse lost her patients during the hospital stay. And any other instances or occurrences in the business relationship between nurses and physicians. We need to use the FTC while they have an interest in APRN barriers to practice, and we need to push the envelope to interest them in conducting economic analysis of collaboration and other supervisory agreements. They have the expertise and the legitimacy to get these issues elevated and addressed. Do you have some suggestions or recommendations as to how we can actually collect this data? Suggestions, recommendations? Hi, Wendy. Did I just get unmuted? Yes, you got unmuted. Okay. Um, I'm sure that um, NP Info, NP Clinical would be willing to um, serve as some conduits for getting you some information if you okay. just asked. Okay. And it's my hope that as we put the tape out there, then maybe some others will do the same. But we need to do some surveys. We need to get data to the FTC. They don't have the data and they are responding in the blind, and that, frankly, is a weakness in um, their opinions. Uh, Cliff, have you read these opinions? No, I haven't. Okay, because they are amazing in terms of how far they go to address barriers to practice. And what but about, you, you yes. mentioned something about limitations on, on uh, limited Scope practices uh, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, clinics, uh, walk-in clinics. Yes, they have specifically addressed some of the artificial barriers and say they should not be in place. They have looked at anecdotal evidence related to collaboration, and in one in this last opinion in West Virginia, I'm reading directly from it. It says. Removing the requirements that APRNs have a collaborative agreement with a physician in order to prescribe medications is likely to reduce the cost of basic health care services and could spur innovation in health care delivery and widen the range of choices available to consumers. APRN care is generally less expensive to patients and and payers than physician care and is often provided in a variety of delivery settings. (coughs) Excuse me. Similar to the situation in other states, (coughs) there is anecdotal evidence suggesting some West Virginia APRNs who wish to set up a practice that is separate from a physician or other health care entity must pay physicians to enter a collaborative agreement for prescriptive authority unless these arrangements involve true and beneficial supervision, they raise the possibilities that APRNs are not compensating physicians for their time, but for the potential loss of income some physicians may believe occur as a result of APRNs' entry into the primary care market. 
Such practices raise the cost of practice, such payments rather, raise the cost of practice, likely resulting in fewer independently practicing APRNs and higher prices. Now, from the the calls I've received and the research I've done, I know that in um, the state of Tennessee, there have been many instances where physicians have basically um, hijacked nurses into very onerous collaborative re- uh, relationships where they have to pay a lot of money to practice independently. Another state where this problem has manifested itself and has been documented is in Kentucky, and then we see it sporadically um, throughout the country. The question is, how do we actually capture this information and make it available to the Federal Trade Commission? Another group, Wendy, that I think we might be able to get some information out of are the fellows with the Academy. That's interesting. That would be an interesting group to tap into. It would be. Um, And I think that, I mean, you probably know a good portion of them. (laughs) Yes. Um, And so, yeah, and then I would just call the academy and ask them. um, I think that um, Mary Jane would would be the best person to go through there. Okay. Um, Do you have her contact info? I do. I do have oh. her contact info. Okay. Cause okay. Because that of, is a. But the thing is to get that data so that they can do the economic analysis. All too often, we try to do the economic analysis ourselves. The FTC are experts, and if they're interested in this issue right now, which they clearly are, um, we need to make sure that we get that information to them. And and this, that certainly makes a lot of sense. Um, I wonder if we could do, I mean, we could certainly put up a survey monkey tool mm-hmm. um, and start asking questions and try to get the word out through the local groups. Um, but I think that if we could get a buy-in from the academy, they've got a very good network of email addresses for groups. Um, and I know that Mary Jane has done some surveys before. Okay. And they might even have some of this data hidden away, not knowing it's needed. Okay. And we'll just ask her about it. I think so. Okay. And then the second issue, and I will definitely come back to this when we have more on the call. I'm not quite sure what happened today. Well, was, before, you uh, get to, before you move away from this issue, where could mm-hmm. we get a copy of these 12 opinions? The 12 opinions are um, they're in the FTC catalog, but I also okay. I'll put links on my uh, Facebook so that you can just you can just go right into them because they're real. It's amazing what they actually cover, and they talk about not just anti-competition and um, nurses. They have moved towards looking at anti-competition with um, dental technicians. Um, and barriers to practice. Um, they um, also have um, looked at interventional pain um, management, pharmacy benefit managers, and vet services. 
the states in which they have directly addressed advanced nursing practice include West Virginia, Louisiana, Missouri, where they did CRNAs, Kentucky, Texas, Florida, um, Kentucky, again, to look at limited service clinics, Illinois at retail um, health clinics, and Massachusetts. And in every instance where they have looked at um, barriers to practice, they look at, at collaboration, they look at supervised relationships, they've looked at um, instances where there's been a mandate of um, of a limited number of persons being supervised by one physician. Um, they have um, looked at um, the um, nature of a, and the depth of agreements, and they have said that all of, in, in virtually every instance, that um, these um, barriers which people are claiming help license, help to better serve the license um, sure, uh, process, do not provide safety benefits, and no one can prove that there's a nexus between them being imposed and improving the, the safety of the consumer in getting the service. They also discuss at length concerns associated with the limited number of physicians uh, and the, the supply versus demand, and they talk about the number of nurses in advanced practice. They also talk about how nurses in advanced practice reduce the cost of care, which was one of the reasons that um, Obama and, and CMS have been very big on the utilization of alternative health providers because they realized that this would help to diminish some of the costs associated with health care reform. So these these um, opinions start in October of 2007, and the last one was in September 2012, and I suspect there will be others as people request them. Um, they tend to be requested by boards of nursing and or legislators who are looking at issues related to advanced practice. Interestingly enough, I cannot find where a an organization's request was accepted. It was either legislator or state board of nursing. Huh. And what is your, um, you said you're going to put it on your Facebook. What is your Facebook? Uh-huh. It's, it's Carson Company, LLC. And let me have your phone number again. My phone number is area code 202-232-5193. 5193. Mm -hmm. So you're in Washington, D.C.? Of course. Yeah. Up on U Street. That's where I am, Cliff. The second issue we will discuss today is the REMS process, and we're going to come back to this at another time. The Risk Evaluation and Mitigation Strategies Program, which has been developed by the FDA, 
some believe is likely to complicate life for hospitals and their pharmacists. The REMS program involves restrictions on drug use and documentation requirements that the FDA imposes for new drugs and sometimes older ones with unusually serious risk profiles, but when, far, but when benefits are equally strong. The REMS program outlines steps that manufacturers, wholesalers, pharmacists, and others must take before and after they dispense drugs to a, pay, to a patient. Congress gave the FDA authority to require the REMS programs in 2007 when it passed the FDA Amendments Act. The FDA published the guidance on the draft guidance on September 30, 2009, and recently that guidance was finalized. In it are elements to assure safe use, ETASU, which may include one or more of the following, training materials, specified procedures, patient-physician agreements or informed consent, patient education materials, safety protocols, medical monitoring procedures, required laboratory testing, data collection, and certification of hospitals, pharmacies, and other healthcare settings that dispense or administer the drug. Besides possibly requiring certain elements in a REMS, FDA considers the impact of those elements on access to the product. When safe use elements are required, manufacturers may need to monitor and evaluate physicians, nurses, and other healthcare professionals to make sure they're properly impl implementing the elements to assure safe use. Manufacturers also may need to make improvements in how healthcare professionals execute these elements for instance, a nurse in a certified facility might be required to input the results into patient monitoring testing or other information into databases maintained and monitored by the manufacturer with a REMS. Ultimately, it is envisioned that the REMS training will be required before one obtains DEA registration. I am not sure if that means that REMS training will complement or take the place of existing prescribing continuing education and thought this was an issue that we might want to discuss. I sit in on a number of groups that address REMS and REMS issues related to pain medication and pain management, and we've had various meetings with um, with individuals from the vice president's office on drug diversion and control, as well as from the FDA, and all have said that eventually there will be an expectation that REMS will be in place in lieu of prescriber continuing education. But I have not seen nor have I heard of any nursing organizations being involved in the REMS process. And I wanted to bring it up at this time because I think it's something that we need to address one way or the other because it might well overshadow what's uh, happening in continuing education or alternatively the continuing education that's mandated 
for nurse prescribing may not be accepted as part of the REMS um, process because REMS is specific to certain types of medications, i.e. controlled substations, and doesn't address some of the other issues. So, Bob, that's one of the concerns that I wanted to bring up, and I think that we need to look at that as well. And I think <clears throat> I think we could probably get more information on the for the FTC than for that. Uh huh. But I think that it would be very interesting um, in terms of how much extra monitoring we're going to have to do in a practice. Uh, I know it. To me, it is going to add an additional regulatory burden as well. Yes, yes, it will. And then the other question is going to be, of course. And will they let nurse practitioner practices prescribe such things with the monitoring, or will they make it physician only? Exactly. So um, that is one of the issues that I wanted to bring up. Now, I am going to. I was going to um, to cut the call short today because the White House is doing a call at one o'clock on a new e-learning tool which will provide training for healthcare providers on proper prescribing for opioid analgesics. Um, the stakeholder call-in number for that call is area code 800-230-1951. Again, the number for that White House call is 800 800- Two three zero one nine five one. In the interim, what I will do is I'm going to put an evaluation form up and ask you all to finish it and get it back to me. But more important is I'm going to find out where all these other 40 folk who signed up for the call and didn't show up, what happened to them. Because I want to make this available on a regular basis, and I think that this is good information that we need to share. Barring them um, not calling back, and I'll find out some more about this, um, next month what I would like to do is address billing and coding issues because I keep getting calls about billing and coding problems about fiscal intermediaries in one state saying that a practice is appropriate, but when a nurse practitioner moves to another state, that nurse practitioner is unable to bill for that practice. So I would think that we could have a lively discussion around those issues as well. Oh, I'll bet we could. Okay. Wendy, can you make this this like the first Monday of every month? Well, that's easier. what I wanted to do was just make it the first Monday of every month, and I thought that way it would be convenient. But I'm su- I'm suspecting that somebody is it's not convenient to them. That or it's a new thing, and they haven't quite got it into their um, into their schedule yet. Okay. Um, and th- since you're using social media, rah rah. <laughs> yes, rah rah. <laughs> um, you may have to send out reminders. I, I, I mean, I know it's it's a little bit of babysitting, but... Well, that's what we will do. We yeah, will do that I, now. Okay, well, we're going to do it the first of every month thus far, unless they really come back and say it does not work for them. 
Okay, well, and then I will ask me. them if they want to know what we discussed on this call today is these issues. But the um, discussion would have been even more robust had they been on the call. Oh, absolutely. Um, and and if I could, I'd make a pitch for the nine o'clock. <laughs> okay, <laughs> or, nine o'clock a.m. Oh. Okay. I can go later if, if need be, but okay. But it, well, I'll see what we get back because I'm just I'm very surprised because so many RSVP'd and they're not here. That's what I'm. You know, and and from what little I know of your list, there are people that usually show up. I know, so that's what I'm worried about. <laughs> My so, best guess uh, is is just forgetfulness. Mhm. Mhm. Well, Cliff, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. Uh, and then I will share it with you, and then we'll just I'll let you know what happens with them next yeah. month. Yeah, I am doing some work with um, with uh, some of the uh, companies like Walgreens like, that are using nurse practitioners in mm-hmm. their, uh, in their uh, clinics uh, that they have in the in their, uh, connected with their pharmacy. And they're they're really trying to roll these out so that um, uh, they, you know, have a fairly extensive practice in the primary care space and uh, and, and utilize it during, uh, you know, weekends and after work hours so that uh, it really provides uh, a benefit to those individuals that have been unable to access their primary care physician. That's good. Well, I'm excited about the use of, of, of nurses in retail clinics. And I actually um use them for my flu shots and for my sniffles. I go into um I go into one in, in Falls Church as a matter of fact. Because I know the nurses out there and I just zip out there, get taken care of and zip right back. But we need them, and we need we need to have more alternative opportunities. I have been working with some nurses who have clinics here in the city, and um, they are working on expanding their clinics or getting privileges at hospitals. And I actually sit on the board over at United Medical Center. So it is interesting as we start to, to um, see how this process works itself through. But we'll do it next month, and then we'll send them a little reminder, and we'll ask them why they were not on today and share with them some of these topics. And I will put all the links up on my website for you. So thank you all for today, and let's uh, see what happens on the 1 o'clock conference call if it's of interest to you. Take care. Thanks, Wendy. And thank you. Yeah, Wendy, so Carson Company LLC is the website? Is my that's my website is Carson my website is CarsonCo.net. My Facebook is Carson Company LLC. Okay, so and I uh, tweet under Nursing Law and under W Y Carson Smith. Okay. I'm so getting good at these things, Cliff. I haven't. I can honestly say I haven't. Okay. That much All right, I'm but I'm gonna put those links up there on the Facebook page right now. Okay, thank you. Okay, you're welcome. Take care. Right. Bye bye now. Bye-bye.